All right, so Genesis chapter 47, we'll go ahead and start uh, reading in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? They said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we to come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servant dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee, and the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell in the land of Goshen. Let them dwell, and if thou knowest any man of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. So remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about how Joseph had found favor with Pharaoh, and um, Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he just assumed that his brothers were going to be just like him. You know, in his mind, he's thinking Joseph literally saved this country. Joseph has been such a great blessing. He's brought great riches. And so, you know, he's thinking, I want more of these guys. So he's excited at the idea of Jews coming, even though, you know, his brothers were shepherds. Because remember, too, last week, you know, shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. But it didn't matter with these guys because I think Pharaoh assumed these guys, probably everything they touch is going to turn to gold, too. So he was all for it. He overlooked the fact that they were shepherds. And the truth is, whatever these guys touch, it did turn to gold because they did these men had the blessing of Abraham on them that we've been seeing throughout the book of Genesis. Everything these guys touched, it turned to gold. Why? Because God blessed them. God's blessing was on them. That's why these stories are in the book of Genesis. It's showing us how these were God's people, that God's blessing was there. And that's why whenever they would go in different lands, the people would either love them or they would fear them and be scared of them. Because... It, there was no doubt God's hand was on these people. And so uh, we're seeing that, you know, Pharaoh recognizes that. So he loves the idea of all the of all of Joseph's family staying in Egypt. He's like, whatever, the best of the land, you can have it. It's yours. Because uh, in, in reality, everything, you know, the whole nation is Pharaoh's. And so any area that these guys have is going to prosper and do great. And it's kind of Pharaoh's benefit, too. So. Uh, Egypt, I do believe, was what we're seeing here and what we kind of see historically happen here is they were greatly blessed as a result of them being good to the children of Israel. God said, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And Egypt was as good as they could possibly be to the children of Israel, at least those who knew Joseph did. We're going to see a switch. That takes place later, but I do believe this is one of the reasons Egypt did so good. They were blessing God's people. Uh, but later, when they turned, guess what happened to Egypt? They were destroyed. You know, we're in, uh, you know, spoiler alert, Egypt changes their view of Israel. They turn on them and God, God destroys them. So, uh, great, you know, great lesson there, just showing God kept his promise to Abraham. But verse 7 says, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, this is significant because of the fact that 
politically speaking, uh, Pharaoh was greater than Jacob, wasn't he? And remember in Hebrews chapter 7, it says in verse 6, But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. When somebody blesses somebody in the Bible, it's usually the greater blesses the lesser. And, uh, and in the book of Hebrews, it's bringing that up because the Jews understood this. And the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham showed that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, even though the Jews kind of looked at Abraham as like the top guy. But then the writer of Hebrews is showing, no, Melchizedek was actually greater than him. And so um, I do believe, though, that in reality, when it comes to Jacob being greater than Pharaoh, it was more of a spiritual thing. It was more of a spiritual greatness than an earthly greatness, because even today, it's not uncommon for well-known dignitaries in the religious world to maybe say a blessing or pray a blessing over the president or something like that. You know, they'll have, you know, Billy Graham used to do stuff like that. You know, maybe they'd have Franklin Graham or one of, you know, the top dogs in the religious world. They might do that because, you know, everybody would agree that, you know, a big religious figure is greater than a president, spiritually speaking. Nobody looks at leaders of countries so much as spiritual leaders. So I think that's kind of what we see going on here. But it shows the, you know, high regard that the Egyptians and even Pharaoh had for Joseph and his family and, and even a respect for their God and their religion. Even though they disagreed, they clearly had a respect and a fear of their God because uh, God had shown himself strong through Joseph with his ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh knew that this was definitely of God. So in verse 8, it says, Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So he's basically saying, I, you know, I, I'm not going to make it as long as my fathers did because uh, Abraham, I forgot how old Abraham was when he died, but um, Isaac, was, I know, was 180. And uh, so basically he's just been, you know, saying, I, I'm not going to make it as long as those guys did. And uh, But he still made it pretty long. He made it 147 years, we're going to see. But it says in verse 10, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. So this famine, it was so bad that even though for seven years they prepared for it, after about two or three years, they're in trouble again. You know, they're still suffering. That's how bad this famine was. And it was, they were being overwhelmed by it. And so, uh, the land's fainting, uh, or the land of Canaan is fainting by reason of the famine. And so it says, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of, and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they brought, bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Now, you can kind of say 
this famine got so bad that, you know, the dollar collapsed, you know, the monetary system. Now think about this too, because I'll bet their monetary system was probably better than ours. They probably had actual silver and gold and things where we have paper, right? That's, that's all we've got today. Now listen, this chapter is important because we can learn a few things about government in this chapter that uh, everything we see here lines up with what we see historically. And these are things that we need to take into account. And when we think about some of this stuff, we realize that, you know, our state we're in in the United States is not really pretty when you stop and think about it. You know, we like to think we're real secure in America, but, you know, it wouldn't take much to just for everything to just fall apart in this country. In fact, when we see what happens here, happened here, it's kind of a little bit scary, you know, about where we are in our country. So notice things got so bad because there was no food that it got to the point where there's, there's no money. Everybody's going to Egypt just to buy food and they, they were charging prices to where now there's no more money. Okay. They, they don't have any more money anymore. And you know, that kind of goes to show you that really the most precious and important commodity is food. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't eat gold, can you? And you can't eat silver. You have to have food to survive, you know, food and ammo, right? You got to have ammo too. That's another uh, important commodity we need to remember. But it says in verse 15, and when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, give us bread for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle, if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for the flocks, and for the cattle of the herds, and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. So now notice this, okay? Um, and the title of my message is The Dangers of an All-Powerful Government. Now, what we see Joseph do here, it worked temporarily. But at the end of the day, the results of what takes place in this chapter were devastating and were really bad. And we need to keep these in mind. So when the money failed, everybody's going to the government to get their food. And then, so how does he, you know, because understand, you know, government doesn't produce anything. Y'all understand that? Government does not produce anything. The government just going and printing more paper money is not them actually producing something. You have to have something that's actually backing the money. And so it got to the point where it was so bad, the money failed, so they, they kind of have everything. And, and I don't know my history as well as I should on a lot of this stuff. I've seen some videos and things about it. I, I won't even try to get the details right on this because I won't. But, you know, there was a time, remember uh, when they basically told everybody to turn in all their gold, okay? And, you know, now we wonder, is there even any gold in Fort Knox? You know, our money is supposed to be backed by gold and things. And now nobody knows if we even have any, okay? It's probably all in China or something like that. You know, we, we really don't know, okay? We really don't know where everything's at. But think about it. In, the, in this last, I, I don't know for sure when it all started, but in the last, you know, century, we have been seeing more and more people go to the government to take care of them for everything, haven't we? I mean, the government has its hand in everything. And what does the Bible teach about the government? It's there for the punishment of evildoers. It's not there to ensure that we all get fed. 
Okay, it's not there to ensure health care and all these other things. But I do believe that some of the things that we saw happen, you know, earlier on in the, in, uh, you know, the 1900s and things, a lot of the crises that came, the result was people went to the government to have them help them. They helped them, but when they did, they gained a lot of control uh, and we lost a lot of freedom that in the end is going to hurt us. It, this is just taking a really, it, all these things that happen, it takes decades for you to see the real fruit of it. And it was the same thing here that we see going on in Egypt. And so the, when the money fails, notice how he's telling them, all right, so you, know, so you don't die, you know, give me all your cattle. Okay. Now understand the cattle and all these things that now Pharaoh owns, these are the things that they have to have in order to make a living, right? So now, all the tools, everything necessary for them to work and survive is in the hand of Pharaoh. So, in reality, what do they now have? Everything's kind of belonging to the government, in reality. And think about where we are today. You realize how dependent we are on the government to survive? Did you know we're not allowed to drive a car without the government's permission, without paying them a fee? I mean, you can go own a car all you want, but you can't get it licensed without the government's permission. You know, all these roads that we ride on, they belong to the government, don't they? Now, what would we all do? How would we all survive if all of a sudden we didn't have cars, we weren't allowed to use roads, all these things that the government put out there? You know, we're supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we're kind of losing that. It's, we're, we're becoming more just kind of slaves of the government, aren't we? And we are all dependent on them because at the end of the day, we don't really own anything. Nothing is really ours in this country. And that's what we see happening here in Egypt. Everything is, you know, they still have cattle they're able to use because the government can't use all your cattle. You all understand that? You know, the government can't drive all our cars. The president, you know, the governor, he can't drive all the cars that I have. But if he basically you know, can make me pay for licenses and all these things, he can benefit from me owning a car and using a car. You realize every time you're driving on the road, you're paying taxes. You know, you, you know how you do it when you go to pump gas? Did you know that it's illegal? They will not let them. I don't know if it's like this in every state. In our state, they, gas stations, back when uh, gas prices were up like $4 a gallon, they were some gas stations... We're trying to put a breakdown of how much of that gas money that you were spending was going to the government on, on all the different taxes that are on there and how they don't even really get that much. The government was getting more than the gas stations, even though the government wasn't doing anything. You know, the oil companies, they're the ones out pumping the oil. They're the ones delivering. Gas stations are the ones servicing everybody. But the government is getting a big, fat chunk. So every time you're driving on the road, you're paying Caesar for that. Every every time you pump gas. Are we seeing anything in common here? We see nothing's really ours. And folks, we can't survive without driving on these roads, without having these cars. We are at the mercy of the government right now, aren't we? But we're told we're free. We're told we're free, so you know we're happy because they tell us we're free and they tell us we're happy. And you know, and I'm not telling you to just be miserable right now, but I'm just telling you Notice what they're doing, so we're not surprised when the big takeover comes. Because 
2020, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't think it's happening this year, we're seeing it happen. They feel like they have the right to tell us to stay at home. I wonder what made them think that. Maybe it's because they know they own the roads. Maybe it's because they know they really own your vehicle and they own pretty much everything. They're the ones, you know, a lot of times providing the electricity and, you know, and, the, and, and the water. That's theirs. That's why they think they can tell churches and houses, they can tell homes, if you have too many people over for Thanksgiving, we're shutting your water off. Because it's their water, isn't it? I mean, they're making you pay for it. What's really ours? Anybody getting freaked out just yet? All right, not trying to bring you down tonight. But I think it's important that we just recognize reality and what's going on. And, and listen, we ask for these things. Okay? And our government's smart. They create crises, so we'll go running to them. That's what they do. And this was a real crisis we have going on, and everybody went running to them. And so literally, Egypt owns everything that they needed back then to make a farm work. You're not going to have a, be able to have a farm without cattle. And so it's like, all right, well, um, okay, fine. We'll give you all our cattle so we can buy some more food because, you know, what good's, you know, these things going to do me if I can't eat? But now Egypt's got all this cattle. What are they going to do with it? Well, let's put these people to work with our cattle. And then whatever they produce, we tax. And that one, we're going to see that's exactly what they did. So verse 18 says, and when the year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, we will not hide it from my Lord how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land, buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live, and not die that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. So private property is now gone. That's bad, folks. Private property is a wonderful thing that, I mean, we, uh, we just don't even care about in this country. But this, it was an important thing when our country was started because they, our founding fathers realized how important private property is. You don't want the government to have control of everything. You don't want them to own everything. It's a bad thing. And so Pharaoh now is even more powerful. And so if everything you need to survive is owned or controlled by the government, what do you really have? And the truth is, the government does not need all those horses. The government does not need all that land. Okay. If I want to, if, if I want to be a king, if I want to be this, you know, multimillionaire, me as an individual, I'm only capable of producing so much. You understand that? I mean, each of us, we only have so, there's only, we all have only 24 hours in the day. There's only so much we can physically handle. So if I want to build an empire and have great riches, what I have to do is I've got to get other people dependent on me so I can profit from their labor. That's what I've got to do. And we also have CEOs of a lot of corporations. Basically, that's what they're doing. They've got, you know, thousands and thousands of employees. Listen, Jeff Bezos, you know, he didn't become the multi-billionaire that he did by him just working a whole lot of hours himself and making a real good hourly wage. No, he built an empire is what he did. And he's got thousands and thousands of people working for him and he's profiting off all their labor. And I'm not even saying that all of that's bad, but I'm just saying that's what, you know, makes somebody powerful because 
I can only do so much. I'll only be able to ever produce so much. So I've got to find a way to get people working for me. And that's exactly what's now happening. Everyone that's working, they're not working so as much for their own gain as they are for Pharaoh's gain. He's now getting a piece of everything they do. And it's only a few years and this famine is going to be passed. The famine will be over. Prosperity will come back again. But now Pharaoh is going to be getting a huge piece of all that prosperity, making him extremely powerful because the government doesn't need your cars. Okay? The government, you, know, you can only drive one car at a time, folks. But if they can profit off you driving your car, then that's good. You know, go do it. And so, uh, so at, one, at one time, Egypt had private property. When they lost this, Pharaoh became dangerously powerful. And, you know, and eventually our dollar is going to crash. And in reality, I mean, in reality, I think you could say our dollar already has crashed. We just have fiat money now. They're just telling us it's good. And everybody believes it. And so we're okay for right now, but you can only make this last for so long. And so eventually, when it all does crash, and you know what it's going to crash? When they tell us it's crashed. Somebody's going to come along and say, the right, when the right person comes along and says, your money is worthless, you know what? Our money will be worthless. Everybody will freak out. Gas prices will spike to $20 a gallon, you know, 50 bucks for a loaf of bread. It's going to happen one of these days. And it's, just, it's going to be once they declare it that way. That's the way our system is right now. And so um, when it happens, you know what people are going to do? They're going to go run to the government for help. That's what they've always done. And they'll help, but we're going to have to give them everything that we have and allow them to control every area of our life. Now, notice when they went to Joseph and they said, our bodies and our land is yours. Thankfully, Joseph didn't take their bodies, but he did take their land, didn't he? And you know what? When the next big crash comes, they're going to say, give us your body too. And we're going to implant it with a microchip. Folks, you know that's coming. You know that's where it's all heading. They already think our bodies are theirs. And it's only a matter of time. And they're going to be trying to force a vaccination on us probably. But you know what? There's going to be a, there, there will be a rebellion in this country when they do that. And when they do, you know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to create a bigger crisis to where we will tell them, you can have our body. Shoot us up with whatever you want. We don't want to starve to death. Because that's what people do when they're desperate. That's what they did back then. If you don't think this is you know, not a picture of what's coming, I, I don't know what else to say. This is going to happen. This is the way this, this kind of thing works. So anyway, let's keep going. Verse 21 says, and for, the, uh, and for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priests bought he not. For the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, wherefore they sold not their land. So I think it's interesting how they didn't buy the lands of the priests. It's almost like they had a separation of church and state in their country, even in Egypt. Right? And I'm not calling that the church, but whatever their religion was, uh, even Egypt knew you don't mix the government with religion. We're not going to tell them what to do. Even Pharaoh recognized that. And our government needs to figure that out, that they can't tell us what to do. That's not going to stop evil ones from trying. But they, they don't have a right. These things should be separate. But verse 23, 
Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for them of your households and for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day, and Pharaoh, that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. So income tax became a thing. He said, I'm getting, a Pharaoh's getting a fifth of your increase. That's a 20% tax that he put on them. He said 20% is Pharaoh's. That became a thing. It, I, listen, you know, there was a time in our country where people were talking, if they ever tried taxing our income, there'll be a revolution. And unfortunately, there wasn't. And they're taxing our I mean, They tax everything, folks. Remember when they threw, you remember the Boston Tea Party when they threw all the tea in the ocean because of a tax on tea? Man, we, we, we need to get back to some of that stuff. Some of the things that they're trying to tax is absolutely crazy and ridiculous. And you know, I, I hate to chase a rabbit here, but we should always be against tax increases and just taxing anything. And there's a lot of these just punk, liberal, effeminate types that are out there that are always trying to expose the IFB because of perversion and stuff like that. And, you know, and I'm against perversion in church. These people need to be called out. But one of the things that I hear these people say, you know, because they act like they're just against perversion in the IFB, but they, these people all act like flaming commie liberals. And one of the things they're always talking about, you know, you know, these churches shouldn't be tax exempt with all this junk they're doing. Listen, you, even if, except, yeah, obviously we want these people that are perverse and be called out, they need to go to jail, whatever. But never encourage them to start taxing churches. That just gives them more power. Even Joseph didn't do that to the, to the priests and Egypt. That is a horrible thing. We do not want to give them power over things. You say, yeah, but there's churches out there that are abusing things. I know, and that's terrible, and I hope God deals with them, but it is a bad thing. We lose more freedom when they start taxing churches. We should be against that. And I'm just convinced a lot of these people are just communist liberals, you know, that you know, they're former IFB that just basically have bought into every left-wing thing out there and... Everybody ought to be freaked out by that. We ought to be freaked out by more government control. It's a bad thing. Okay. And so this income tax was a, this was a, this was a bad thing in many ways. They said, but yeah, but this was Joseph's idea. It saved their life. But understand governments, they often do some good things, but it always comes at a price that I don't believe is worth it. I don't, I don't believe it's worth it. And all powerful government is great if you have a good leader. Okay, in the millennial kingdom, you know, I don't think we're necessarily going to have freedom like we talk about it today because Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. But understand, it will be fantastic in the world because we will have a good leader. But when you have an all-powerful government and a wicked leader comes in, then it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And so, and everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. Look what it says in Exodus 1.8. Because understand that it was this situation, it was this crisis that got Egypt the power that it had that made them 
a world ruler and a very powerful empire, and it was fine. It was fine when they had a good pharaoh, but look what it says in verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto the enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Hotham and Ramses. They built treasure cities for Pharaoh. Eventually the Jews became slaves to the Egyptians and are bringing them great profit. They end up being oppressed. And when did it happen? It happened when a king came along that didn't know Joseph. A bad king came and everything fell apart. Israel's crying out. Their, their lives are bitter in hard bondage. And you know what? It took a divine act of God to get them out of that situation. God had to send a deliverer to get them out of there. And really what should have happened, okay? Because you say, well, was this a bad idea? You know, are you saying that Joseph was wrong and Joseph is bad in what he did? I'm not saying that, but here's what, here's what I will say. I think it would have been great if Joseph would have done what he did. And then after the crisis was over, they gave, gave everything back to the people. Okay, but folks, when has a government ever given back power? It's never happened, has it? I mean, folks, even Hollywood knows that. When Chancellor Palpatine was given all that power, he promised to give it back as soon as the crisis was over. But did he? <laughs> you say, ah, that's sci-fi. Folks, that's government. That's the way it always has been. They never give back power. And here's one of the things that drives me nuts in the Republican and Democrat world. Every time a Democrat is in power, you know what they always do? They take a little more power. They take a little more authority. You know, the Democrats and the government gives more power to the president and all these things. And the Republicans cry about it the whole time. Oh, this is dangerous. This is dangerously powerful. They shouldn't have all this power. But you know what? The, the libs on their side, they don't care how the president gets things done as long as their agenda goes through. Well, then a Republican gets in and then the Republicans, they don't care how he gets things done as long as it gets done. And then they give the president, they want the president to have even more power as long as he's doing their bidding. The thing, though, that we're seeing is with every president, the president's becoming a little more powerful. And you know what? You know what no president does? You know what never happens when a Republican gets back in office? He never does anything to give back some of the power of the presidency that to get it closer to the way it was before. They've never done that. No president has ever done that. You know what they do? With that new power, they think, well, now it'll be easier for to get my agenda passed now that I'm in office. But the problem is, okay, now you're going to take a little more power, and then we're going to get a Democrat back in, and he's going to do more damage. Either way, we keep losing. I mean, when was the last time we have, in, in our country's history, where we ever saw the government back off on any of their power? You know what? We've never seen it. It's never happened. When it was started... They didn't have that much power. You know, you had states' rights. You had those things. But over time, we've been losing it. It's just the way government works. It's, it, and it's, it's a terrible thing. And it will eventually come back to haunt all of us. It will, it'll, it'll end up destroying everything. And so, uh, said, 
I think he should have gave it back. I think they eventually should have gave it back, but they never do that. And so verse 27 says, And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the whole age of Jacob was 140 and seven years. So 17 years Jacob was in Egypt. Now, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us why the children of Israel didn't leave Egypt earlier. Okay, it, it doesn't like get, it, the Bible doesn't give us a reason, but I tend to think it's because they were very comfortable there. I mean, here your brother is number two in the land of Egypt. You're in the best land. Why go back to your inheritance, right? But did God want them in Egypt or did God want them in Israel? God wanted them in Israel. I personally think after that famine was over, they should have packed up their things and they should have went back home. That's what, that's what they should have done. But you know what? They got comfortable there. And isn't that historically the way it's been for the Jews? Wherever they're at, they get comfortable. And then what happens? You have Zionist Jews that end up persecuting them, you know, and why? Because they're trying to drive them out of these lands because they want them to go to Israel. And I don't have time to go down that those rabbit trails, but there's some really interesting books out there. In fact, about a lot of the people who have been behind persecution of the Jews in history, they have actually been Jews themselves. Zionist Jews that wanted their people to go back to Israel so they could kind of take over that land. And that's, I mean, they're still, the Zionists are still trying to get more and more Jews to move back to Israel. The problem is, you know, they're pretty comfortable where they're at. You know, they've taken over this country. You know, they don't want, you know, and wherever they're at, you know, they're usually very wealthy and have a lot of possessions. And so they don't want to leave. And I think that's what happened here in Egypt. They just didn't want to leave. But eventually, uh, the oppression came and then they finally did. And so, um, I think that I, I think they should have left, but I just think they didn't want to. I think they were wrong to stay. And so in verse 29, it says, In the time drew nigh that Israel must die, and he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in the burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, swear unto me, and he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. So burial back then, it was a lot more important to them than it is now because they were very attached to the land. They had a mindset that their descendants were going to be in that land for a thousand years. And so they wanted to be buried in these lands. They wanted those memorials there where, you know, today we don't think as much about that because we see our burying place as much more temporary than they did. And I do see wherever I get buried as temporary. In fact, I'm hoping if I do die, that I won't be buried that long because I'm expecting the rapture to come back. But for them, back in that time, they knew the resurrection was something that was way off. You know, they knew that was something, even though they believed in it, they knew it was something that was way off. And so they did, you know, today we have a more heavenly mindset. So we don't make a big deal about these things, but it was very important to them. Where they were buried was very important because... They believed in a physical, literal resurrection one day, and they wanted to rise in the land, uh, and they want they wanted to be buried in that land where all their descendants were going to be, uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So what we need to understand about this chapter is that it's it's recording the facts of what happened. It's not a chapter 
teaching us how governments should work. I don't think we should necessarily take that, look at this and then go and encourage our government to take all our land and to take all our possessions and tax us at 20%, which would actually probably be a tax decrease for us. You know, when you add up all the taxes that they do, so maybe we ought to push for that. But, uh, but, but either way, you know, we, we need to learn from this because we shouldn't promote this type of thing to happen in our country. Okay. Now I understand that when it comes to just certain things that are emotion, there's very little we can do. Okay. I don't want to like end this message with a doom and gloom. Our country is going down the toilet. Our financial system is about to collapse and the government's going to own everything and they're going to try to give us the mark of the beast. Okay. Folks, that's going to happen, right? Eventually that's going to happen. It might not happen for a long time, but at the same time, you know, what if it is a couple hundred years before that goes down? Do we want to encourage the destruction of our country? I don't think we do. You know, do we want to support, you know, a, a political philosophy that pushes towards that kind of thing? Obviously we don't. We want to be against that. We want to be a voice against that. But more importantly though, Say, well, we're not going to turn anything in this country. So what, you know, what about for me? Well, here's what you need to learn from. Okay. Here's something you need to practice in your own personal life. And that is you need to learn how to be as independent as you can possibly be. You, you know, and, you know, you young, young men and teenagers, you need to understand that you need to get a job and you need to learn how to be capable of taking care of yourself and paying your own bills and being responsible. In fact, it wouldn't hurt you to know how to live off the land if you need to, to how to plant some things, how to hunt some things. You know, I mean, most, listen, your average millennial man, if everything went down and you gave him a gun, he wouldn't know what to do with it. If he managed to shoot something, he wouldn't know what to do with it. Okay, we got a couple guys here would know exactly what to do with it, right? But at the same time, most people don't know how to do that stuff. Hey, the day may come where you're going to need to know how to do that kind of thing. And we ought to have that kind of mindset. Okay, I'm not telling you, you know, just to start, you know, prepping and go live out in the wilderness somewhere and be like a mountain man and things like that. But you know what? It wouldn't hurt you. It's just a good thing to help you be a little more manly, to just learn how to hunt something, to learn how to shoot, to learn how to, you know, field dress a deer and all, and butcher it, all that kind of, These are handy skills to how to catch a fish and how to clean a fish and how to, you know, chop some wood and how to you know, build a fire and do all these things for survival. Why do we want to do these things? Because we want to have an independent mindset. You do not want to be like these pathetic millennials that are out there that just don't know how to do anything and want the government to do everything for them. They have this attitude. The government should pay for my college. The government should pay for my groceries. And folks, every time we ask the government to do something for us, you know what they do? They take a little more of our freedom every time. And you know what you need to say is, you know, I'm going to do everything I can on my own without their help. You need to have an independent mindset. And I'll, this is just kind of, and maybe it's how I was raised. This is just how my thinking is. But, you know, I've, I've always kind of had this mentality. I, I'd like to be able to get stranded on a deserted island and be okay. And, and it bothers me that I'm like dependent on contacts. And I'm not completely dependent. I could live without them, but it would be harder. I just feel like it's a weakness and a handicap because, you know, what if I'm ever, you know, stranded on a deserted island or something like that? I'm not going to be able to see very good. You know, I don't want to be dependent on a medication to survive because the government controls all the medicine. 
Now listen, if I need medicine, I'll take the medicine, but I don't want to be dependent on these things. That's just my attitude. And you know, and, and that mentality has helped us make some good decisions in our life because that's just, that's just kind of how I think. For example, uh, years ago, my wife, she had a, a thyroid problem and they wanted to remove her thyroid. And, you know, if, if something needs to get removed, that's fine. You know, remove it. But I remember we were like, well, what's that going to mean if you take her th- thyroid out? And she was going to have to be on a medication her whole life. And that just bothered me because I'm thinking, what if we're ever stranded on a deserted island? You know, and she's got to have this, you know, to survive. And, and that freaked us out. So, you know what we did? We started asking a lot of questions. Even though they're like, this needs to get done. We started asking a lot of questions. You know what they told us? They said, well... We could, and we, and they would have never told us this if we hadn't been freaking out. They said, well, we could take half of it out, and then it might end up doing the work, and you wouldn't have to take any medication. And we were just like, we'll do that. And it worked. And she's never had to take any medication for it. Now, most people, just whenever the doctor says, you know, just, they don't ask any questions. But just that mentality that I don't want to be dependent on anything. It has helped me with that. And, and you know, there might be things that are out of control. Sometimes people have health things where they are dependent on these things. I'm not saying they're bad for it, but I will say you're a little more vulnerable. And we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable. And so, you know what we need to do? We need to try to keep ourselves healthy. Because one of these days, you know, they might tell me I can't drive a car anymore and I might have to walk everywhere. I might have to ride a bike everywhere. I want to make sure I'm healthy enough to do these things. We've got to get back to an independent mentality. And even though our country is doing a bunch of junk, I believe we can still as individuals have that mentality to where we know how to do things on our own. You know, it wouldn't hurt. You know, maybe we should just try doing some survival weekend you know, and just, just go and take a few days and live off the land. And you know what? Most of us, we'd probably be crying our eyes out. But you know what? It'd be good. It'd be a good lesson. You know, you ought to teach your kids how to do those things because we don't want to be dependent on the government. And you say, well, you know, it's it's a good thing they came through because they all would have died. Well, you know what? Everybody in the world didn't die after that famine. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people did and a lot of places became very weak because of it. But you know what? There were still other tribes and other groups that were out there. You know, there was Philistines before this event and there was Philistines after this event, weren't there? You know, Amorites, all these people, you know, they went through a lot, but some of them survived too. But, you know, we see that the uh, at the end of the day, the Israelites suffered more than those people because they were in, they were in bondage all that time. They did better than all those other people while they were in Egypt. But while they were in Egypt for, all, for those hundreds of years, all those other people were taking over their lands and building cities. And it literally, again, it took divine intervention for them to be able to get that land back. So I know some of the, you know, this is, uh, you know, not what all this is about, but we've got to get back to an independent mentality. That needs to just be the way we think and the way we operate. And, you know, basically, I, I like the fact that I live by a river. It makes me feel a little better because I can go catch some fish. If I, need to. I like the fact that we have a well knowing that the city can't shut my water off. Now, it does run on electricity, <laughs> and they can shut my electricity off, but then I can go to the river, you know, I, I can get buckets, you know. 
you know, th these are the things that make me feel better and I find security in these things. I don't want to be dependent on this other stuff. And so we need to learn to prepare for rainy days. The Bible says in Proverbs 21:20, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Watch out for this uh, American way of just getting in major debt. I mean, the way people today are just running up student loans only to just get a minimum wage job after that. Don't do that. Understand, you have all these student loans. You know who you owe that to? The government. And they're going to get that money back. And we, we need to watch out for that. There's a price. And so, sadly, in our American system we have today, everything is so interconnected, too, that when one thing goes down, everything goes down. So it's kind of the way it works today. And so there's not a whole lot we can do to change the course of our country, but we can at least prepare ourselves. And so the other thing we've got to understand, too, is that after Egypt and, and Israel especially gave Pharaoh all this control over themselves, it took major divine intervention to get them out. It took 10 plagues from God to get them out. It took the opening of the Red Sea and the closing up of it at the right time. It took all those things. And you know what? One of these days, Pharaoh is going to take over the whole world again. And it will take divine intervention. It will be the rapture that will get us out of the mess. That's what it's going to take. But either way, hopefully, uh, through seeing the way this happened, it helps you understand how government, bad government works and what they're trying to do. And we need to be against it, take a stand against it, and try to preserve what we've got in this country for as long as possible. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and uh, the examples we have. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to have a more independent mentality, Lord. Help us to uh, not be dependent on the government. Help us not look look to them, Lord. Help us be dependent on you uh, and let you be the source of things. Help us to uh, practice self-reliance. Help us to teach our, our boys to be men and to be able to do the things necessary for survival because the day may come where we need these skills. And so I pray you'll... Uh, just help us to uh, be wise, help us to not just spend everything up and put ourselves in vulnerable situations uh, where we're going to need the government's help and you know, help us have that independent mentality. In your name we pray. Amen.